Welcome to another Tyrese cast. I'm Jim McGregor. I'm Kevin Crewell. And this has been such a busy fall season. We want to review some of the exciting announcements and news from the past six weeks. This includes everything from new phones and 5G to AI and autonomous vehicles. Yeah, just to give you a feeling for how busy the season has been, we've seen new product launches at IFA in Germany, events at Amazon, Apple, Google, Samsung, and others. A number of new technology announcements at conferences like AI Hardware Summit, ARM TechCon, Xilinx Developer Forum, Lindley Processor Conference, and then Semiconductor Foundry events from Global Foundries, Samsung, TSMC, just to name a few. It's been incredible. It's really hard for us to go through everything in a very short podcast, but we're just going to pull out some of the highlights. Some of the conferences, especially the technical conferences we've been to, have been very exciting. Kicking off kind of this period was the AI Hardware Summit. And we saw a lot of interesting technologies being promoted, anything from neuromorphic architectures, analog, optical computing solutions. Unfortunately, right now, they're pretty much all science experiments. So when it comes to the AI hardware world, it still really comes down to the traditional von Neumann architectures and silicon solutions that are out there today. But it is interesting that we're having so much innovation and so much interest around um, new AI architectures going forward. So that really stood out in my mind. What stood out really in your mind, Kevin? Well, just got off the Lindley uh, Prosser conference, and there was also quite a bit of AI hardware companies there. And a lot of them are actually getting closer to silicon. A couple of them uh, were showing off at least prototype silicon, and they're talking about tape outs and silicon in 2020. So we're getting closer. The, the real players are still there. Habana was there at Lindley, and they have some real working silicon uh, for inference, and their, their benchmarks are coming out shortly for MLPerf, so I'm, I'm interested to see that. And then also at Lindley, um, we saw the new Intel Tremont architecture, which is their, what they call power-efficient core. In ARM architecture, we'd call it the little core, but it's not so little. It's a three-issue, it's, uh, it's actually a six-issue core. It's actually more of a Skylake equivalent, but tuned for lower power and not as higher frequency than a regular core processor. So it's an interesting processor. It's a little bit of modular, so they can take pieces out to get even to lower power numbers. But it's highly efficient, targeting 10 nanometer. And that was kind of impressive, actually. And then also the Sci-5 guys, which is one of the leading RISC V IP developers, introduced their first out-order core. It's the U8 series. And specifically, it focused on the U84, which is a three-issue out-of-order core, which is still not bleeding edge. I mean, you compare it with the Tremont core, it's, it's quite a bit behind that. But it's the interesting part, and this, is, I think, didn't get as much attention at the conference, is the fact that it's configurable. So the U84 architecture was a instance, but you can adjust the knobs and, and tune the architecture for two-issue or more issues, there's lots of adjustments you can make to the architecture. We haven't really seen all the details yet, but it's a configurator tool that allows you to do that. My analogy would be it's like a Moog synthesizer where you can adjust all the knobs to make whatever kind of sound you want. This architecture is sort of like that. And then, you know, the older cores were in order, and that's kind of like a, a monophonic version of a Moog synthesizer. And this is an out-order multi-issue core, so this is a polyphonic 
synthesizer. So it gives you some baseline and then you can adjust a bunch of parameters up and down to what performance level you want. So you can really create whatever kind of core you want with their tool chain. I think that's actually fascinating. You know, and one of the things I'm amazed about with some of these AI guys is they're actually rushing to get on some of the latest process technologies as quick as possible. Even when like being at the Xilinx developer forum with some of their solutions and Xilinx, like a lot of other companies, are not only just developing silicon, now they're developing full accelerator cards, but they've moved on to 7 nanometer. And obviously, all of the major foundries, especially, well, I should say Samsung and TSMC, are really pushing that 7 nanometer boundary today. Well, 7 nanometer, you're right, is very popular with a number of these vendors. Although, you know, some of the AI, especially the edge AI guys, talk to them, and I actually think they're looking at other alternatives, like 22FDS, a fully depleted SOI technology that I think would be really good in terms of very low power. And a lot of these edge nodes, or actually, so one guy called Extreme Edge, and the, the definition of what is an edge is kind of blurred. It's not edge of the network. We're talking about node, very low power node stuff. They don't need 7 nanometer. The 7 nanometer is, is great for scaling up to higher performance levels. But a lot of the edge stuff, like video surveillance cameras and such, they can go. They can do very well with like a, a 22 FTS type of process. So I think there's still a lot of room for these, for other process nodes, not just, you know, the bleeding at 7 nanometer stuff as well. I think that's 22 FDX, not S. Yeah, X. It, it is the uh, FDSOI technology, you're right. Um, and you're right, and that's a planar technology, so it's even much easier to produce in a lot of cases. So it is interesting to see what they're doing. You know, one other thing that stood out in my mind over the past couple of weeks, and I don't think this is really the big news at ArmTechCon. The big news is really what they're doing to make it easier for people to use their silicon in terms of their pricing and the availability of IP and everything else. But the thing that stood out to me was this AVCC announcement, Autonomous Vehicle Computing Consortium. The fact that they've actually been able to finally pull a group of technology, not just technology, but also Tier 1 and OEM vendors together to come up with standards for autonomous vehicle when it comes to those electronic solutions. Yeah, this, this is actually a really important part of the autonomous program is to be able to get these vendors to agree and work together. And that's, right now, there's a lot of silos so it's been difficult to get the companies to work together. Actually, you know, one thing we forgot to mention, I, I didn't mention earlier, is the ARM TechCon, the release of the new capability for ARM to add custom user instructions is really a, a pretty major breakthrough for, for that company. And I, I think that's actually an important change in the business model at ARM and allowing, and you know, the customers, the, the people who build ARM cores to add some, a little bit of customization to it just to accelerate certain functions. And I think that's a big step forward for ARM. Well, that, and it's free. <laughs> yeah, was a big they didn't charge extra for it, yeah. It's starting with the Cortex-M, the M33, I believe, and we'll move into the R family and even maybe the A family, although it's, that was, there was no commitment to that, but it, it, it certainly would seem at some point in time that would, that would, would make sense. Yeah, no, you're right. That was a big announcement as well. The fact that uh, that customization is pretty much going across the semiconductor industry, even to these licensable cores. That's very interesting. You know, other things that stood out. What what else stood out from you over the last couple of weeks? Well, the Xilinx Developer Forum was an important event as well, and the the focus there was on their tool chain, and and that's really 
one of the areas where I think FPGAs have had a problem, and that is how do you how do you use an FPGA? People have learned how to program a, a GPU using CUDA, and uh, you know, and other tools, OpenCL. FPGAs have always been a little bit of RTL level programming, and the new tool chain from Xilinx is really going a long way to help make that more accessible to more programmers. And that's, I think that's an important development. You know, also, I attended the 5G Summit in Barcelona, and besides the riots that were going on there at the time, it was interesting to talk to a lot of the carriers. Well, you know, of course they're rioting. They, they knew you were in town, so they, that, that was, <laughs> that's cause for a riot right there. Well, you know, there's a fine line between a riot and a party, and I was kind of viewing it as a party. So, yeah, you may have a point there. But no, it was interesting because a lot of the carriers that were, were there from around the globe and they were highlighting the fact that, you know, despite some of the negative stuff that's been said about 5G, all these guys are on track. I mean, they're aggressively rolling out 5G around the globe. Obviously, China is the most aggressive, but every other region is doing very well. And they're doing it in different ways. I mean, some of them are doing it with different, with carrier aggregation and lower frequency bands, like especially in China. Other regions like the U.S. are using the sub-6 and millimeter wave frequencies to help roll out 5G speeds and performance. And quite honestly, I've even been really impressed with the millimeter wave stuff. We were recently at another event where we actually got a demo of some of that at the Qualcomm headquarters. And despite what a lot of people say, where it's just a last mile solution, it really works well for a handset. I mean, they were demonstrating it, you know, bouncing off buildings and around buildings where you couldn't even see the antenna. So I was impressed with that. Yeah, the ding on millimeter millimeter wave was that it's only light of sight, but that's not true because there's enough buildings and walls and other things to reflect that you get bounce and you do get coverage beyond line of sight. So that's an important. I, it's you know millimeter wave is not going to be available in China, but it really has capability to add significant bandwidth for a lot of applications. Well, and obviously over the past couple of weeks, we've seen just a plethora of announcements of new products and devices, especially in smartphones, starting with IFA and Apple and Samsung events. I got to be honest with you, I'm still more impressed with a lot of the, the Chinese vendors. OnePlus, I really like their phones. Huawei, Xiaomi. I'm not really that impressed with First off, the Fold solutions, like uh, the Galaxy Fold. I think it's too bulky. I think it's too heavy. And I don't think it's going to be that durable over time. And I'm I'm very, very disappointed in Google. The fact that they finally had a chance to leap ahead of Apple with a 5G phone and the Pixel 4 is not even going to have 5G in it. Well, not only does the Pixel 4 not have 5G, it also has terrible battery life. They, they put in a small battery and, and the... A lot of people have talked about the battery life not even being a full day, which is very disappointing. The problem, I think, with a lot of these phone manufacturers is that they're focused on other things besides making a phone. They're focused on making a really great camera. In the case of the Fold, the Galaxy Fold actually looks great as a kind of a mini tablet when it unfolds and you use it as a kind of a tablet mode. It looks great, but it's not a phone. I mean, it's not acting like a phone. It's too thick and bulky. So I, I think the problem is people are not, you know, these companies are not building phones, they're building cameras and tablets, and uh, they've sort of lost the connection to things like, hey, really good bandwidth or really good uh, battery life. And those are the things that I think are important, and that's what they're not focused on. 
Well, I think they're looking to expand the market, and that's a challenge. I mean, the, the mobile platform or the smartphone platform is maturing. And you're right, the average premium phone now is going to have anywhere from three to four cameras, uh, or Im- I should say image sensors, uh, just to improve the camera quality. Uh, on the positive side, they really are incredible. I mean, we were taking some night pictures in Barcelona, I had to say, of the riots <laughs> and the fires that were going off around the city. But I got to tell you, some of these phones, the night vision on these blew my mind. I mean, they really, really are getting incredible. Something that you can't even get from the traditional uh, phones or uh, traditional cameras. Yeah, actually, they've had an astronomy mode where basically for nighttime uh, viewing, they could actually do sky viewing and get stars and all that for the Pixel. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what really drives demand in smartphones and our devices going forward. Is it just the technology and improving some of these features or do they need to find a new application? I'm not quite sure, but, you know, I, I am kind of encouraged. I think that anybody that's buying a new phone shouldn't buy one unless it's a 5G phone. It is going to improve your performance, your call quality. your It's going to improve everything for you. I don't think anybody should buy anything unless it's a 5G phone at this point. And it's backwards compatible. Well, especially if you plan on keeping it for a number of years. If, you, if you're flipping your phone every year, all right, so maybe you could get a 4G today and flip it next year for a 5G. But if you pl- most people these days do keep their phones for three or even four years, maybe more. If you're not buying a 5G phone now, when you, if you're that kind of person, I think you're really missing an opportunity. Well, and I think one of the other problems that the phone vendors are missing is the, the cost. I mean, the price that they're... Some of these devices are not, not just over $1,000. Some of these devices are now over $2,000. That's getting yeah, a little ridiculous. Fold. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, it's not just a fold. There's several out there that are being priced that high, and it's it's just ridiculous. So anything else that stood out in your mind? I just want to mention uh, Vitus is the name of the software from Xilinx, their new tool chain. I forgot to mention oh, that earlier, right. so I just wanted to, yeah. yeah. Uh, see, that, you know, that was it. Uh, Lindley Conference, was, I mean, there's a lot of announcements, a lot of, it's been very busy season. We're going to a little bit of a low. We got supercomputing coming up in, next month in Denver. And then we got Qualcomm later in early December, where they make their announcements. And then we're already starting to prep for CES. Can't forget that, or in January. That's the big, the big kahuna. Yeah, and there's two other AI conferences coming up. I believe AI World and NeuroIPS, which used to be NIPS, but they changed it rightfully so because of the search engines. Well... Then with that, this brings us to another wrap of a Tyrius cast. Please remember that Tyrius Research is a market research and advisory firm that provides custom research and advice to the entire high-tech ecosystem from sensors to the cloud. This includes custom market sizing, product company competitive analysis, M&A evaluations, product and corporate strategic planning, and even marketing strategies. Yeah, we do a lot of white papers too, actually. If you uh, want to hear more information about us at uh, Tyrius Research or inquire about our services, please contact us directly. I'm Kevin at Tyrius Research, and then there's Jim at Tyrius Research. We're very original in terms of our names, emails. That's T-I-R-I-A-S Research, just in case you don't know how to spell us. And then you can visit our website at TyriusResearch.com, uh, that name again. Please keep up with us on social media. We have a corporate account at Tyrius Research. I'm personally at Crewell, K-R-E-W-E-L-L. And then Jim is, oddly enough, tech strategist at T-E-K-S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-S-T. And then check out our articles. We are we write for Forbes, 
Are we doing a lot more work on EE Times these days? We're also on ECT News. And then we have also our white papers posted on our website. Yeah, also look for podcasts from us on EE Times. We've been working more with EE Times on their stuff. So, well, thank you for joining us. If you have any feedback on this Tyrius cast or recommendations for future Tyrius casts, please contact us directly at kevin at tyriusresearch.com or jim at tyriusresearch.com. And please look for more information from us in coming weeks. We've just been so overloaded with travel, events, announcements that we can't cover everything in one podcast, but we will have more coming, I promise you. And thank you very much for joining us, and I hope you all have a great day. Thank you.